One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Alison Rudd of the Times and Don Fifield of the Guardian. According to Jose Mourinho, you can't buy class. He should know. £476 million has been spent on his latest Manchester United team. They're disorganised, downbeat, dismal. He's lost control and respect. Now, you were at Brighton, Ali. From the outside, that looked like an era-defining defeat. What about from the inside? Yeah, watching it unfold, it felt like... Um... It didn't feel like a blip, and that was how Mourinho, I think, was trying to portray it. He said, you know, you can get unlucky where your mistakes are punished, and sometimes they're not. It just so happened today our mistakes were punished. It was much, much more than that. It felt like the ultimate expression of Mourinho's tenure at Manchester United, where I think it's really difficult to work out what he has brought to Manchester United in terms of style. A lot of, a lot of fans are, are starting to worry that he's just too old-fashioned now. The managers that are successful in the Premier League, you know what they stand for, you know what their philosophies are, and you can sort of say, yes, they're playing in their way. For Manchester United, what they are, are a group of, as you say, expensively assembled individuals that Mourinho seems to think, if I choose you and you're expensive, you should go out there and play beautiful football and make us win. But it doesn't matter what your price tag is, you need to be told what the template is. And there was no template, so you had, you had a defence that was spread wide and porous. You had a midfield that didn't know if they were supposed to be being creative or defensive. They certainly, no one on that Man United team were pressing. So what, what are they? They were neither counter-attacking nor possession-based. They were a group of individuals Clearly, their body language is poor. They look like a group of individuals who felt the burden of knowing they cost a lot of money, but their manager still isn't happy with them. It's quite a feat to pull off, to, to be Jose Mourinho with your track record, to be Man Manchester United manager, a, a job you, you coveted, to go in there and somehow make the people that you've bought feel they're, they're not worthy. It, it, it was astonishing. And I think when Paul Pogba said our attitude was wrong, he was partly saying, yes, of course, the players are to blame, but really, it says a lot about the manager who sent them out. Mm. You know, as a veteran Kremlinologist at Chelsea, Tom, <laughs> you've seen that movie before, haven't you? Yeah, I was starting to think we probably have. I, I wanted to give Mourinho the benefit of the doubt in the summer and hope that, you know, it was a passing mood, uh, dark mood. But, but the more you see of him, the, the more grumbling there is. And the, some of the briefings that happened clearly ahead of the Leicester City game... On both sides. ...suggested that there's a schism there now with the hierarchy, as well as one potentially w between him and some of the senior players. And that does 
history suggests that only goes one way. He hasn't even got his, his trusted number two with him anymore um, to sort of shield him from some of it as well. It, it does look a mess. When he, when he was at, I mean, the stuff about in the summer about the transfer policy, where he, he wanted to bring certain players to the club and the, and the club were clearly unconvinced that those were the players that were going to be the long-term future of Manchester United. That, I mean, that's two policies completely divergent. They're, they're not ever going to compromise on, on, on a solution on that. When he was at Chelsea and he won the league, he had he bought in Diego Costa, he bought in Cesc Fabregas that summer. They were his signings. They, they worked, they won the league in his second spell. It was when they didn't capitalise on that and, and then add to the, the players that he wanted that next summer that things started unravelling. And look, he's, he's got to go some way before he, he reaches that sort of level of Nadir at United. But there's no evidence at the moment that he's going to turn that around, that he's going to suddenly become this positive figure again and inspire players that clearly have an issue with him. That was such a plod of a performance yesterday. There's no energy, there's no zest to it. And as Ali said, there's no discernible pattern or strategy. Mm. Do you think, Ali, that you, you talked about managers having a distinctive philosophy, I mean, wherever they may be in the Premier League. I think one of the, the underlying trends of management is, is towards a much more empathetic style. Now, here you've got Mourinho fining Martial for wanting to be close to his wife following childbirth. That type of behaviour does resonate across a, a, around the dressing room, doesn't it? Well, yes. I, it, it's astonishing. It is absolutely astonishing. It may well be that Mourinho was in the right, that if you give a player permission to do something personal and miss a tour, you expect him to come back on a date you've agreed. And that's what happened. He didn't come back on the date agreed. But the context, for goodness sake, even if you feel you're in the right as Mourinho, there are better ways of handling that. We're talking about a personal issue, the birth of a child. You don't know how you're going to react when you go back to see your partner. There are all sorts of nuances involved. And the contrast is just so clear with Manchester City on that because there's been a lot of understanding of players, particularly David Silva, mm. who's had to spend time away from the group because he, he wanted to be with his, his partner and their newborn child. And, and there were some fantastic images, weren't there, from, with him, with his, with his son. Exactly, exactly. That's the sort of, it's, it's the polar opposite way of treating a personal issue. And you can go through the history of managers who take a hard line on, don't, I don't care about your personal life. You turn up when you should turn up. And then managers, as you say, take the empathetic approach. And you're right, that does right now seem to reap rewards in terms of pulling everyone together. And you make it work for you. If you want to be cynical about it, Pep Guardiola made the whole David Silva problem, if you like, work for the team. He made the team play for him. We're doing this for him. We're doing this for your teammate. We are a family. We are a bigger family than just the 11 on the pitch. Everyone's involved. And what you get, you get players who are very talented but pulling together in the right direction on an emotional level, which you just cannot see at Manchester United. Mm. Do you understand the reticence, and there is clear reticence from the Man United board, to keep funding Mourinho? Uh, yeah, in, in terms of what, what he wants to bring, because Jose Mourinho recognises that he, he needs instant success, so he wants to bring pedigree that, that is at massive cost um, but players who will hit the ground running and, and make a, a massive initial impact in his in his team now he's, re he's reached that stage now where he hasn't got any time to really develop talent and and and, and even develop a or to go a different way with the style really I don't think I mean he's, he's it's it's everything is 
it has to be instant now. Um, so if they're looking long term, and I don't think you, I know every club that Jose goes to, there's always that, that one line somewhere on the line that he, he will say, I want to be here for 10 years. Never happens. Never, ever happens. His, his, his 10 years are finite. They, are, they, they reach a level where the, maybe the, he doesn't have the same impact on the players anymore. Um, we, all, we all know that. We saw that at, at Chelsea. In fact, we've seen it at every club that he's managed and coached at. And the, the board, they have to look, they have to look long term. But I, I don't think the board, are, I think they've been culpable as well on, on other issues. I mean, they shouldn't. The denials on the, the Pogba and, and Mourinho rift are ridiculous because there's clearly an issue there. If you've got the captain coming out saying he'll be fine if he, if he says what he wants to say. So why hasn't the, Ed Woodward got those guys into a room together and, and thrashed that out for the, for the benefit of the club? It's, it just seems, everything seems so weak and wishy-washy there mm. in terms of the leadership. Were you in the, um, were you in the press conference at Chelsea in his, in his dying days there where he talked about ostriches and he didn't like players who hid on the pitch that put their head in the sand rather than being brave? And he said it, that he got quite emotional about it and said he just doesn't like players who hide. And when they do a post-match briefing, he will pick on those players who, in his belief, have hidden like mm -hmm. ostriches in the head in the sand and, and call them out on it because he believes if you call them out on it, the group will then make that player realise what they've done wrong. Now, if, sure, every play, sure if every player was an ostrich yeah. against Brighton, how on earth does he turn that around? <laughs> how on earth does he turn that around? He gets a JCB aim to actually pick them all out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't buy Pogba coming in. I know everybody says, oh, he's fronted up. He's come out and spoken to the TV cameras and admitted the attitude is wrong. The fact that he comes out and says it means nothing. The fact that he, his attitude was wrong going into that game and he's mm. admitting that is appalling, absolutely appalling. But it's going to be a fun week, isn't it? There's going to be briefing all over the place, but we're definitely going to have more Barcelona mumblings about maybe Pogba going there. And then at the end of that week, we've got Tottenham turning up at Old Trafford. Let's project this one forward. Mauricio Pochettino, is this a dress rehearsal for him to become the next Manchester United manager? I'm starting to wonder whether Pochettino would actually want to go for that job. I suppose you could look at it that way. United are the, the bigger club, although Spurs and their new stadium could close the gap potentially. Is it an opportunity? You know, that's not how he'll look at it. He'll look at it as an opportunity to get a very, very rare win at Old Trafford and to, to maintain momentum in Tottenham Hotspur's start to the season. Um, I think he's got his own issues at the moment, Pochettino. I don't think he was... I, I suspect that behind the scenes he's probably a bit frustrated with the way that the summer transfer market actually went. Um, he has got a, a tight-knit group, but he's got players there that, that also might want to, to move on. Um, everybody goes about Alvaro out, but what, Dembele as well as another one. Mm well on Saturday when he came on against Fulham. Pochettino will be pragmatic about it, but to be honest, it'll be interesting to see what happens next at United because it's very ob obvious they're not going to challenge at the very, very top of the division. I mean, it, it appears likely that Liverpool will usurp them in terms of challenging Manchester City. So do they have the draw? They, they probably have, they have the romance, they have the history that, you know, it's, it's still a, a great job to have. But are they going to be challenging in the next two or three years? And, and if they are going to challenge in the next two or three years, does that not involve another huge outlay in the transfer market? And then you have to ask whether the board will be willing to do that. Mm. I think if you, if you look at the, you know, the situation in which Pochettino finds himself, you know, I think it's probably inevitable that he'd be looked at as a bit of an identikit Man United manager 
has got a great belief in youth and pace and adventure, which is part of that tradition that you spoke about, Dom. The other name being mentioned is Zidane. How do you think he might? Um, you know, he's obviously got the global stature to fit into that into that mould, and, and you know, it'd be great for their social media penetration and all that sort of stuff. Is he the sort of guy they sh they should be looking at? On one level, yes, in that he's used to dealing with a disparate group of players that have been assembled at great expense and assembled because of who they are, because of the need to attract big names and not have a fear of spending big and somehow making them into a team. But I, d I, I would be really surprised if that, that actually happened. He's so unproven outside of Real Madrid. It's a huge risk. And also... At any club or any international team, you always get the yo-yo effect. And because Mourinho, if he fails and is gone by Christmas, it will be because he lacked the empathetic approach. He doesn't have a paternalistic idea. He doesn't have a clear identity of how you play to succeed in the Premier League. So that I, I would think it would be very unlikely they would go for someone who's quite similar in that sense. Zinedine Zidane would be too similar a character, if you like. So kind of distant, not avuncular. So they're more likely to go for someone like Pochettino simply mm. because he has his reputation for being an arm round the shoulder. I mean, the number of times he has defended young players who've been a bit silly. Deli Alli, doesn't matter what Deli Alli does. Pochettino will say, he's my son, I love him. <laughs> you, you just don't get that from, from a Mourinho. So it, I think they're more likely to go for someone who will be more organic and caring than, than a global icon like Zidane. Mm, yeah. Now, Ali spoke about City in the context of being caring about David Silva, you know, 250th appearance on Sunday. Um, there were some familiar virtues in that win over Huddersfield. But Mourinho made that point that's always been there in the background. Money can't buy class. When will we learn to love Manchester City? Uh, I think we'll, I think we see the football they play and we, and we admire that and probably love that now. Um, and to be honest, I suspect the way modern football is, that's the best they can hope for in terms of love of the club. Uh, why, why, should, why should rival club fans ever love Manchester City for what they've become? It's possible to, to admire everything they do on the pitch and, and, and that has been done at, at huge, with huge investment, not least in the manager himself. Um, and, and it's admirable what the way that they play and the way they take teams apart and from the first four minutes yesterday when they already missed I think two or three chances you knew that was going to be a complete thrashing and it was a mismatch throughout but I don't know why football clubs feel they need to be loved by everybody that's not how they are they need to be loved by the people that support them mm. um, and you know I suspect that most Manchester City fans even the ones that were slightly you know estranged by the whole move to the Etihad and the and the sudden wealth and the sudden elevation, I think probably most of them are enjoying watching what, what Manchester yeah, City are producing yeah. at the moment. Well, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd forgive a team with, with David Silver in for anything almost. You know? <laughs> um, but the test, the test is whether in 20 years' time you ask a kid why they support Man City when they live in Birmingham or mm, Cornwall mm. and they say, oh, I just loved, I just loved watching Aguero, I just loved watching David Silver or Kevin De Bruyne and... Mm. 
I loved the manager and the way he dressed and the way he acted. And that's when you test the love, whether it's a generation of neutrals who decide to wear the city shirt because they just admired them so much. Mm. How good can they be? Because, you know, we saw them, they, you know, frankly, walked it last season, didn't they? We don't fully know Liverpool's capabilities yet. It'll take us some time within the season to work that one out. But how, could, how good can they be? Can, are they the sort of team that can win the Champions League and the Premier League in the same season? I wouldn't say it's impossible. They've certainly got depth. It's all, it always comes down to how tired, quickly you become tired in a season. Motivation, does it wane? Do you have the depth of squad to cope with adversity, injuries, unforeseen circumstances and so on? They've, they've got that. They're, they're, the, they're the three big things. It's interesting. I think most commentators and people close to City and Pep Guardiola have said actually what means more to him is retaining the title rather than winning the Champions League. I'm not sure the, the owners would take the same <laughs> view, but I, I think that's fascinating and it implies that he thinks if he can maintain or improve upon last season, the Champions League will automatically follow. There's mm. no point getting obsessed about it. I think that's quite a grown-up approach yeah. as well. So I think, I think it's possible, but we all know what football's like. Mm. I, don't, I wouldn't put money on it, but it's possible. Mm. I think we're in a season where there's going to be a lot of focus on the goalkeepers. Now, if you look at City with Edison, you know, Aguero got his ninth Premier League hat-trick. I don't think he's probably ever had an assist from the goalkeeper no, before, has he? That brilliant. The distribution is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, he's a different, different class. And the, the amount of money they paid for him, I mean, it does put some of the other moves in the market, not least this summer, um, to shame, really. Um, I was at um, Arsenal-Chelsea on Saturday evening, and Kepa's going to take some some time to adjust. He's not as imposing as Edison. As Edison arrived in, in the scene, just looked as if he's not going to be physically done by anybody in the Premier League. He's 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 properly imposing, um, and his distribution is second to none. It's fantastic. It fits perfectly with what they needed. He was the missing link last season, and he made such a huge difference. Cape is going to need time at Chelsea. Petr Cech at the other end is at the other end of his career, and we need to see what Lino does at, at Arsenal to judge him properly. But but you're right. It's I mean the the, the contrast and that's that's their teams in the development phase. City are ready. City are ready in every respect, and Chelsea simply aren't. Mm. You know, one of the questions which were you know, formed as a result of the the Arsenal Chelsea game on on Saturday, um, Sarri or Emery, who's got the most difficult job out of the two? Emery, without doubt I would suggest I just don't think at least at if you look, if you list the problems that there are at Chelsea they're nice problems to have for, for example Angolo Kante can you really sacrifice him in midfield and, and let him be this marauding go everywhere pop up in the box when you least expect him to do do it I mean that's an indulgence and you've still got him haven't you and if it doesn't work you can put him back being a more of a destroyer figure, whereas Arsenal, they're much more fundamental problems. I just don't think Mustafi and Socrates are very good, and they don't look like they compensate for being individually average by forming a fantastic partnership. They, a, a club of Arsenal stature, just you just expect to have more imposing centre backs than that. They've got forwards who are elegant. This was a problem before under Wenger. They're elegant, but they're not uh, reliable and they're not clinical. There's a, <laughs> there's a, lot, there's a lot of problems in, in personnel there. 
and I think we, a lot of those problems were disguised in the past because it was all about it was all about an individual. It was all about Wenger and his inability to be pragmatic and add a bit of steel. Well, fine, that was one problem, and they may well have signed a manager who who is more aware of the pragmatic demands of league football. But he's still only got what he's got to work with, and you can go through every individual in the Arsenal team, and there are pros and cons. Whereas you look at Chelsea, really, I mean, I can't think of a player I'd swap. To be honest, they've got a fantastic set of individuals, and the problems that Serie has are much more nuanced than they are at Arsenal. Mm. You've seen both managers you know, up close. Who's impressed you most? Sorry, sorry, hands down. I mean, he's. I mean, I'm, I'm talking largely in, in terms of um, the way that they've they've addressed the media, um, but also on the touchline. I think he's. I, I like his realism. I like the way he. He's. He's brought the caveat, you know, this is going to take some time, this is going to take two or three months, and then we'll see, we will see a good, positive Chelsea team. So he's given the, the, the fans a sort of carrot there, and they can work towards that, and they can, they can they'll, see, they'll see progress. And I, I think he's, I think the two results have probably flattered him a bit. I mean, Huddersfield were awful, and Arsenal should have been outside, potentially could have been outside by half time on could have Saturday. Been about 6 4 at half time. Yeah, it was ludicrous, ludicrous chaotic first half um, Emery I just worry for Emery because as, as Ali says I think that they're, that they're further behind in their development I don't know I don't know what the expectations you know once Wenger goes I think people then start to get a bit giddy and unrealistic as to what the new man can achieve uh, I don't necessarily I don't know whether he spent well no one knows whether he spent well or they spent well in the summer he bought a lot of sort of bit part players do they improve the collective? Maybe. Torreira has been the most impressive so far, and he's had two appearances off the bench. Mm. Um, I mean, Emery will know why he's not starting him. Presumably, it's fitness-based, but he looks as if he could do a job. But you know, the others, you know, I like, I like that. In fairness, Guendouzi has, has impressed, but he's so raw. It seems almost unfair to have thrown him in this early on in those two fixtures to say make an impact. He actually did stand out against City at, at times, but also made some pretty cataclysmic errors as well. In, in but what do you course. expect from a 19 exactly. who's just, just been playing in league? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, don't, I, I worry about the charisma aspect of it. I wonder whether he's got the um, charisma to sort of, to make the changes necessary at Arsenal to, to make them successful again. Um, he, he did wonderfully well at Seville. Sevilla was was superb with the European League successes, but PSG, PSG was is the money there warps their achievements. He didn't win the league one year at, at PSG, which I think is actually quite damning, to allow Monaco to go and, and and claim that title, even with the crop of talented players that Monaco had at that stage. I, I don't think that necessarily says a lot for Unai Emery, but you know, hopefully he he proves me wrong and and he, and he goes and imposes himself there. But I just it's going to take a lot of time. Yeah, are we in a sort of a, a post-Fergie type of situation at Arsenal, where you know you look at Manchester United, they're still not really recovered any sort of equilibrium after uh, Ferguson left after his 27, 28 years, whatever it was. You've now had a club shaped by Wenger over 22 years. Okay, we're only judging Emery on two or three games, but. As you say, Dom, the initial signs aren't very promising. You know, there's a defence with no pace. They haven't worked out what's going on in midfield. Over Myang's ability to score, which we always thought was was certain, is now not that certain. 
Are we looking at a couple of years at best in transition for Arsenal? Well, it, it, will be, it will be a transition. In a way, it doesn't matter how successful or unsuccessful the predecessor was. He, Benga controlled all aspects of that club. Mm. He had more influence than most managers ever do over the board. He had influence, he had tentacles in every corner. You know, I, I've, I've, I've heard some amazing stories about his attention to detail in areas you would not expect, down to, you know, fitness testing and the results and wanting to see them before anyone else. The, the, very little delegation with power. He, he had complete control over everything. It was his club. Mm. So if you have that man goes, everyone's relearning their role. They're, mm. they're finding out how much autonomy they do have in all those positions. And you've got a man coming in who's new to the Premier League, new to Arsenal. He has to find a way of working out where he fits into it. And whether, the, whether it's negative or positive, he will come across, oh, Arsene didn't do it that We didn't mm. do it that way. Mm. Whether it was a good or bad thing, it doesn't matter. You're right, it's, it's a period of transition. Everyone's learning a new way of operating there. Because normally, when a new manager comes into a club, most things stay the same. The way it works stays the same. The, the, the new manager just, just brings in his personality, a few coaching staff, but he knows he's like a little package and he can move on and move on and move mm. on. But the, 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 the structure of the club stays the same. At Arsenal, it will, there will be subtle and obvious differences throughout. So I agree with you, it will be. Don't, I mean, it's, it's, hard, it, it, it's tough to expect them to do a massive overhaul and be successful in the first season with him in charge, yeah. Mm. And similarly with, with Chelsea, can you just give an insight, Dom, into Sarri as a personality? Now, you look at him, you look at his background, you know, banker, Coach part-time in the 8th division in Italy to try and get some experience. Looks like the guy has just turned up to do the boiler. Um, what's he like as a, an individual and a personality? You're just getting to learn him, I suppose. Yeah, he's... he's um, talking to some of the guys there, that they, they, they're suggesting that he's... It's, it's actually a bit more relaxed than it was. Um, I know he came out with all this stuff about football having to be fun, um, and it sounded like a bit of a, a nice soundbite, but nothing more. But apparently there, there is a sort of more relaxed feel to... From everything from training to around the place. I mean, we all, the stories last week about the about the ketchup, etc., and the diet, the nutrition. He, he basically he wants to trust his players. He wants to trust in their professionalism. So, whereas the previous manager Conte or head coach Conte was was all controlling and 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 almost maybe because he he was a player and he he, he didn't trust them to to stick to his rules. He imposed them really really um, strictly. So the, all the all the sauces went out of the canteen, but now we've. I mean, it was and apparently it was just it was just chicken grilled in three different ways or something. But that was your lunch. Um, but now it's 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 it, he's he's relaxed all the nutrition. He will eventually make a difference in terms of um, where they stay the night before games. Uh, Conte always had them up at um, the hotel at Chelsea Harbour before home games the night before. Sarri's doing that at the moment because he. He's still getting to know his players. He wants to be in their company. I hope he's not in a no-smoking room. <laughs> oh, God, dear. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, that, that is another aspect. I mean, it was, it was a brilliant quote from him on Sunday, on Saturday, rather, saying that the last 15 minutes of that first half, he, he'd rather been outside having a cigarette, cause, quite <laughs> frankly, because it was too much for him. He's clearly not going to stop smoking. I mean, when he, he walks into the media room at, <laughs> at uh, Cobham, uh, which is a media theatre, quite tight, but it's, you know, it's about... 15 rows it goes back 
and he's on the stage at the front and he opens the door and walks in and you, you get a, a wall of cigarette smoke that hits you. So clearly somewhere in the, on the premises he's, he's having a, a quiet smoke <laughs> when he can. Um, but, you know, fine, that's, that's great. I mean, Ancelotti did the same when he was at, at Cobham at Stamford Bridge. I, I like the way he's... I like his demeanour. Uh, the big challenge for him is he's never won anything. He's never won anything in his career and every Chelsea manager is, is, is uh, measured on uh, you know, what, they, what they win. Um, and that's, that's where they'll be at the end of the season. Is it successful or not? Yeah. We'll find out then. Interesting com- uh, confrontation, maybe that's too strong a word, on Saturday when Chelsea are at Newcastle. Now, Rafa's got every incentive to beat Chelsea, hasn't he? Yeah, although if you speak to Rafa... Privately, if you like, he, he, he really didn't feel he had a terrible time at Chelsea and that he feels the media focused on a small group of fans who just didn't want him there. Whereas, in fact, the vast majority of staff at the club, players at the club and fans were very grateful for the sort of um, emergency job he did for them. And he felt he got treated with great respect. There were a few fans at that Europa League final that when the players were out celebrating post-match on the pitch, started chanting Rafa's name and got him to lift the trophy up to them. There were a few. Not many, but there were a few. Yeah, yeah. So there were, I agree, yeah. I think it was a vocal minority that yeah, were... Yeah, and I, so I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't think that'll be top of Rafa's no. agenda because he's got an awful lot on his plate at the moment mm. and his relationship with Chelsea won't matter, other than it's yet more evidence that this is... Um, this is another miracle in progress that he has stayed at Newcastle with his CV and one of the clubs he managed to success briefly is facing his team and that all those Newcastle fans will be thinking, why is he still here? And isn't that oh, how is he still here? Isn't that yeah. amazing? And will we keep him? And whenever you... I have discussed predictions, which I hate doing for the season, and it comes to Newcastle, it's a clear case if Rafa stays... Newcastle will stay up. If Rafa goes, they will go down. It's it's so clear cut that that he is a very very good coach, and he has the whole of that city on his side. But there is a disconnect at the top. Mm. Talking of disconnects, Arsenal are at home to West Ham. West Ham, you don't get much for a hundred million these days, do you? <laughs> Not yet. Um, but again, there's no reason why they should all hit the ground running and they should click immediately. Um, and I. I, I I don't want to. You can't take that first game at Anfield as a as a sort of benchmark of where you're. I was thinking more of a Bournemouth game. Bournemouth game, yeah. It's like that is more worrying, and it was. It's worrying in the context of West Ham's relationship with the London Stadium as well. And he would love to have got a decent start just to give them some a bit of positive to cling on to for for the weeks ahead. But I, I think it's too early. I think it's interesting that he's he feels he has to come out and call out the supporters already. After that first match, which you know that, that might be ill-advised, potentially just on a PR front, um, but I do think we just have to wait and see how how West Ham bed in. I, I I made the mistake last season, this same last season, West Bromwich Albion were top joint top of the league, having won their first two matches, uh, hadn't conceded a goal. They looked as if the the Pulis effect was was going to sweep them, you know, into the upper mid table at the very least. Um, didn't win again until March or April, whenever it was. Likewise. The other end of the table, Crystal Palace, is their first seven games without scoring a goal. You can't draw too many conclusions from the from the first few weeks of the season, particularly if you've spent £100 million on that many players. They have to bed in, they have to get into some kind of rhythm, they have to adjust to, to new surroundings. Um, and I'm sure 
over the course of a season, Pellegrini and West Ham will establish themselves quite comfortably in the division, no mm. problem. But did Pellegrini do his homework? I mean, he seemed quite surprised that the fans were leaving early, did he not? Yeah. <laughs> I, just think he, I think he would have hoped that new regime, new players, they would have stuck with them a bit longer in that first game. Yeah. And that, it's not, it doesn't look great, does no, it? No, it doesn't. No. But, but what it does, does do, it, it sort of points out or points up the fact that a stadium can actually have a material effect on the season. You know, we, we saw that with West Ham last season. We've got the issue about the Spurs' new stadium. There seems to have been a lack of transparency from, from Tottenham. There seems to be a lack of duty of care to the fans. Will there be any spillover effect from what we've seen over the last week or what we've heard about the club not being ready? I don't think so. If they tick over nicely with their delayed arrival and get the results that are required, if once it's open there are no snagging issues, um, if you're trying to compare the London Stadium experience with the new Spurs Stadium, a lot of what went wrong with London Stadium was exactly as you say, that there was no transparency and fans felt the things that they'd been promised didn't happen and they were sat where they didn't want to be sat and they were paying what they didn't want to pay and promises were broken about the, 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 the retractable seating and so on. If the fans eventually turn up at the new stadium and they feel they're getting value for money, they're sat where they expected to be sat, they can see the pitch. And it's they a football like, stadium. And mm. it is a football stadium. They've got, the acoustics are good. It feels just like White Hart Lane but shinier and nicer. <laughs> And they get that whole thing and they can feel oh, it's, this is better than the Emirates Stadium, which has been the whole point, hasn't it? Let's just add a few more seats so that we're <laughs> bigger than the Emirates Stadium. If all this delay, and it isn't great PR, but if the delay means that when they finally sit in their seats, everything is perfect and no one's disappointed with the product, then I don't think there'll be a spillover. But if, if, if you start getting supporters groups clubbing together and saying oh, these promises were broken and we're all sat in the wrong place and there's a big pillar in front of me and mm. the food's too expensive and we've, we've lost our first three games at home and what's wrong, then, then you will get a spillover. It's mostly results-driven, but it, there has to be... I think the fans would allow for the delay if, when they get there, it's more or less perfect. Mm. Now, you, you said, Don, quite rightly, it's very early stages. Has there anyone, any particular players impressed you so far you know, I've, I've been very taken by James Madison at, at Leicester for instance any players that you Madison's a good shout you thought it was impressive at Old Trafford on the, the, the first Friday of the season Brooks at Bournemouth looks decent um, good investment um, for the future you come from Sheffield United is that yes yeah, Sheffield United yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. a good that's a good one and I, I you know I, I think I mean I liked Jean-Michel Serri his debut against Palace I thought he looked Impressive, and I think he's someone that will grow into the into the Premier League and do well. Um, it was quite a substantial investment for Fulham to bring him in, and it was quite surprising that they managed to get him because a lot of other elite clubs were yeah. were looking at him. Um, I would have plumped for Surrey. I've I've seen a lot of Fulham, and uh, he was called the Ivorian Chavi when he <laughs> landed, and he, that isn't a ridiculous uh, name for him. He, he's, he's such a neat passer. He sees the game beautifully and he's one of those... He does, he just knits everything together. Long pass, short pass, clever pass, makes the run and he's quite vocal and you can, you can see if they're going to do well this season, Fulham, it will be because of him, I think. Mm. That said, though, two, week, two weeks into the season, 
I don't think it's a great surprise that the, the teams that have impressed so far have been ones that are pretty much the same as last season. They've kept continuity from last mm. season. Well, even Brighton with all their signings yeah, pretty much absolutely. stayed with last Brighton, season. Palace at Fulham on the opening day, Liverpool against West Ham, really. And they integrated Kaito quite well and Alisson, yeah. the goalkeeper. But, but the, the core of it, the units, were pretty similar to what, what we're used to. Bournemouth as well. Bournemouth didn't throw in their new guys. Lerma, Lerma's not started yet, has he? And, mm. but, so that they've, at this stage of the season, it's actually quite useful to keep what you, what you know and then try and drop in the new players. Oh, absolutely, steadily. but in defence for Fulham. Oh, you can't do it with Fulham. They, they, yeah. they, they had, they had so many two, needs, two, yeah. the two players that they would have played. They had the player of the season out, um, Tim Ream, and they had um, Adoy suspended for yeah. two games. And yeah. they would have both played at the yeah. heart of defence. Yeah. So difference. I agree, they looked a completely different team and trying to work out who's who, but they, 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 their defence was completely they had, different. They, they had so many loanies from last season as well, didn't they? I mean, not, they, had, they had to build from such a low block yeah. in the summer to spend their £100 million although it's an eye-catching amount that's, that's what they had to do yeah. to be competitive mm, mm. and I think they will be competitive yeah. Yeah. What, what about Everton you know Richardson three goals in two games everyone's eyebrows went uh, north as soon as they heard yeah. the fee you know there are quite a few Marco Silva fanboys out there as well what are they looking like they're looking good because Rooney's gone and at last Kilfie Sigurdsson can be the puppeteer. He can make everything happen. And I'm so glad that all the analysis of their first two games has been about, well, he's not scored or even assisted. I don't think he's made that team tick because he's the, num he's the proper number 10. He's in charge of everything. And he, when you've got pace in your team and someone who can spy a pass as cleverly as Sigurdsson, you've, you've got a winning formula there. They will be so much better than last season, mainly because they will be integrated on the pitch and you, they will have, as we talked about earlier, you will know what the system is and uh, Silver will have faith in Sigurdsson to just make, to make that team work. Right. Some questions from the, the listeners and the viewers. We'll start with a couple about Manchester City. Um, Dom. John Sands asks, how many more of City's players will have to suffer long-term injuries before we'll have a title race and not just a nine-month procession. Uh, let me count them up. One, two, three, four. Loads there. <laughs> they're streets ahead. I think they're streets ahead. I think we can get excited about what Liverpool have done in the market and the way they, they approach the season, but, but they're trying to claw back a... How many points was it last season? 19, maybe more? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, Quite a lot. It's a lot to ask of them. I think City, are, because they're so settled and they, they know exactly what they're supposed to do, and he's even using this sort of r relatively easy start to the season. I think they play loads of teams that either got promoted this season or last season. They could win the their first seven games yeah. easily. And he can integrate. He can try different things in that period. So he can he can rest some of his World Cup players. Kyle Walker doesn't have to play. Outstanding at the Emirates on the opening weekend. Doesn't have to play against Huddersfield. He can try different formations. He can try two up. So many options. Lee Rosane hasn't even started yet. I mean, terrifying what they've got. And the fact that they scored so many goals against Huddersfield now means we've got a possibility of the repeat of what happened last season is that when teams face Man City they don't even try mm -hmm. they just want to keep the scoreline down mm. no one wants to be thrashed we, you know, we saw what Aguero did to Huddersfield uh, that, that question uh, Sandy Rush asks with Aguero looking sharper than ever should he now be considered favourite for the golden boot the only reason I'd say no is besides because of what Don was talking about is he will get rested. He won't play every game. He won't, I mean, he won't. 
because he doesn't have to. And he's so demanding, um, Pep Guardiola. I just, that, that I get after the Huddersfield game, that's the first time I have heard Guardiola give wholesome praise of Aguero without a little, he could be better. Mm. I mean, he spent two seasons sort of nitpicking his approach and his training and saying he wanted more. And I was sat there thinking, but he's brilliant. How can you? Well, he's amazing. Why are you saying he could be better? And it, uh, it, it, it doesn't. So what I'm saying is, it doesn't matter how amazing Aguero is. He will be rested, and his manager will, unless he gets a hat trick and sets up goals and plays like that every week. And he won't be playing Huddersfield every week. He will be rested, and that will probably stop him winning the Golden Boot. Hmm. Chelsea question um, from Stefan Adams. How do you solve a problem like David Luiz and Marcos Alonso on the left side of Chelsea's back four? I guess you hope that Andreas Christensen impresses enough in training to earn his a place in a back four as opposed to a back three um, and steps in eventually for David Luiz, who I agree is, I think, I suspect is a weak link still in that, in that back line. Alonso is interesting because Alonso is such a rampaging force of nature when he goes forward. He had an assist and a goal on, on Saturday. You, you couldn't drop him on that performance. And yet most of Arsenal's attacks of any note came down Chelsea's left. Um, Mkhitaryan found himself free there to set up Aubameyang for that dreadful miss. Um, the, one of the goals came there. Iwobi's goal came down that side as well. Um, defensively, he's not that. It was perfect, the system before the 3-4-3 for both of those players. Mm. Um, I, I, I wondered, I, I suggested in pre-season, I wondered ultimately whether Sarri ends up going with Emerson Palmieri at, at left-back. But he's obviously got a bit more convincing to do in training as well. But the Italian links, possibly, that might be where they end up. Mm. And Alonso would have to try and regain his place. Okay. Well, since they're sort of twinned with Arsenal at the moment, um, there's a question on Arsenal um, from Jacob Butler. How would you solve the Arsenal midfield selection crisis? Blood the newbies or teach the not actually that old, old dogs new tricks? I mean, that is sort of why Emery's got the job, because Wenger was seen not to be able to solve that crisis. Everyone needs, every club that's going to, any club actually, they need, they need solidity, fight, grit in, in the centre. And... Um, Wenger never did it, didn't seem to think it was very important. So Emery's come in and he's supposed to be able to... The first, the, the, the way to answer that is, first of all, he has to acknowledge it's not, it doesn't exist now, the, the necessary. He has different players with different attributes, but no one individual that has them all. And I know you can't find a, a canty around every corner, Angola canty around every corner. So maybe because he doesn't have one outstanding individual that you can bank on, I agree with you. You mentioned Granite Xhaka earlier. He's, he's, you know, they've, all, they've all got something good and something negative about them. So maybe it's about, if he doesn't have that single individual and it's a failure not to have bought one, he needs to find a system and some sort of pattern of play, some sort of partnership, gets, get, get, find a way, just find who he's got, whether that's a newbie or an oldie working together, find a system where they work well together come up with a, a formula that, that works because he hasn't, he hasn't got one individual that can solve the problem there yet. Mm. And he should have by now. Final question from, from uh, Paul Fry. Um, Wolves hit the Leicester Woodwork three times, had an effort cleared off the line, but lost. 
Is that the difference in the Premier League? You get punished for not taking chances. Yeah, that's a bit of a cliche, but that's yeah, that's that is the case. As Fulham learnt against Palace in the opening weekend. Sorry to keep bringing that up. <laughs> that's, that's that's what happened. I mean, one team was more ruthless than the other. My, the only concern I've got about Wolves is that people think they're they're better than they probably are. Again, it's a work in progress. Uh, I, they're more than capable of staying up, absolutely. And I suspect that if they're if they're lower mid-table or worse come January, they go out and spend a load of money in January and, and make sure that they they thrust themselves up into, into mid-table or beyond. Um, but we have to remember where they are in, in their state of evolution. That, you know, the first few games up, it's going to be a bit of a culture shock for a lot of those players. But they've got... The, Ruben Leves is still one of the... He's going to be one of the best players in the Premier League. He was the best player. Or he'd been linked with Manchester City, isn't he? Well, yeah, he's, he's, he's got everything. And he's so young as well for mm. some reason. 21, that's ridiculous. Um, so they potentially will be fine and they will, they will do well. But we just need to be a bit steady with what we expect of them in the first few weeks. Yeah. Now, I'd like to end, you know, very briefly on... Uh, just a quick look at the, the women's game. You know, we saw... Uh, on BT Sport, Manchester United uh, beating Liverpool in their inaugural game. I think that's significant for the women's game in general. Um, what, what is the state of the game, do you think, at the moment, Ali? It's still in flux. I've always maintained it won't really take off as something that's talked about down the pub or in cafes or round dinner tables until England's women win the World Cup, which they're more than capable of doing. They qualify. They have been qualifying easily for quite a long time now. They need to just make that big step. You need household names. You need players that are just so elegant, beautiful, whatever, that people know who they are. There's more coverage, which is great. I think the narrative of the story of Manchester United uh, forming a new club and nicking seven players off Liverpool and then beating <laughs> them is a great story and stories like that will help people talk about them. The ultimate question is, do we take women's football as the same way we might watch uh, League Two football and take it like that or do we want to elevate it and, and, and sort of thrust it on people and say this is elite sport and we want it to be treated the same way as you would watch the very best of the men. We're not at that point yet at all but I, I, I wouldn't be so negative as to suggest it's not possible because there is when when I've watched the best the best women's football I've seen it is captivating in its own way and you stop thinking about the comparison with men and you just look at it in isolation and it can be a very wondrous thing but there's not enough of that yet it's one-off games that have that beauty in it It'll get there eventually. But, I mean, it's definitely going in the right direction and stories like United nicking Liverpool players is, is one way of, of making it talked about. <laughs> yeah. And you've got terrific... You know, I've seen Emma Hayes coach. And, funny enough, you, you go to the training ground and you've got David Louise and Eden Hazard watching her, which mm. tells you something, I should think. Um, but we've still got that nagging question, why is someone as distant from the women's game as Phil Neville? The England manager. Yeah, well, I, I presume it was profile that was the reason. Um, he did have his coaching badges, I guess, so he was a potential candidate. But yeah, it was a bit. I can imagine it being a bit dispiriting. Um, but if it's, let's see how he does. I mean, let, let's. He's he is he is a name. He might help raise the profile even more. Uh, if he can achieve success as well, then as Ali says, then that will generate more 
positivity and popularity f for the women's game in, in general. I mean, I quite like what's happening with a lot of the professional men's clubs now, up and down the the, the pyramid. They're they're um, they're integrating more, you know, women's football into their into the setups. And and I mean, even little things, even little things like if you open a program now, that there are there's a spread, two or three spreads on the women's team at that particular club. That wouldn't have happened a few years back. So, in terms of grassroots and and you know, attracting more girls to play football, I think progress is being made it's just whether you know we have to gauge you know Chelsea versus Manchester City in the in the women's super league is, is that going to ever going to be the same profile as Chelsea versus Manchester City in the men's premier league I wouldn't have thought so but you know we can aspire to it mm. but the, the, you can you can open your program and see a spread about the women's team connected to the men's team but you you can push it too fast. If, if, if that yeah. makes somebody mm. go to King's Meadow to watch a match and it's not very good, that then sets everything back yeah, far, true. far more. You've got mm. it has to be allowed to grow at a natural pace. Yeah, well, I agree with that. I think the women's game needs to be taken on its own terms. You know, sure, the atmosphere needs to improve, but the talent's there. Try it; you might be surprised. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.